Okay, friends, so here we go. Let's jump into it right away. We're going to be in Romans chapter 16. Hang in there because we're going to read a little bit, and I promise there's some tricky names that I'm going to mess up, but hang with me as we go through this. Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches in the of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also in the churches that meet in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Andronixus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ even before I was. Greet Amplionitis, my dear friend in Christ. Greet Urbanzus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend the Stasis. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test of time. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. My fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet, greet Tryphona and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, uh, another woman who worked very hard in the Lord. And don't forget about old Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been like a mother to me. Greet Anarichus, Pelagian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and, his, and the other brothers and sisters with him. Come on, we're getting good. Greet Pelagius, Julian, Nereus, and his servant and his sister. And greet Olympus and all the Lord's people in the, with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send their greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for any division or any obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord, but they're, but they're serving their own appetites. By smooth talking and flattery, they're deceiving the minds of the naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I say rejoice. I will rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil. Almost done. The good, the God of peace will soon come and crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. Timothy, our co-worker, sends his greetings to you. So do Lucius, Jason, and Sosia Pater, my fellow Jew. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality uh, I and the, uh, the whole church have enjoyed, send you his greeting. Erastus, who is the city's uh, director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send their greetings to you. Can I just say, friends, you did it. You hung with us for 24 weeks in the book of Romans. And that is pretty dang remarkable. We did an unbelievable job of digging into the uh, gospel according to the book of Romans. And we have said really from the very beginning, if you want the best water from the well, you don't dig the well out, you dig the well deep. And Romans is a deep dive into exactly what is the gospel and the implications it has on our lives. Friends, 
We did not skip a thing. We dove two feet all in, and we talked about it all. I mean, we talked about it all. We talked about the state of fallen humanity. We talked about predestination. We talked about homosexuality. We talked about the exclusivity of Christ, suffering, pain, rejection, gift righteousness, politics, homeschool, private schools, matters of your personal opinion. And we said circumcision about 30 times this whole time. And you, friends still hung with us through the whole book of Romans. Congratulations. We have come to the final chapter, our final passage in the book of Romans. And it seems kind of at first glance, kind of like the end credits. Like if you go to a movie, you don't really stick around as the movie ends and it rolls the credit of the names of all the people that had anything to do with the movie. And it's tempting as you get to the end of Romans to see these names as kind of a, the list of credits too and just kind of close the book down and not really pay attention. But I want to tell you, Paul from the start of Romans has preached the gospel and tucked into this list of name is another proclamation of the gospel. It talks about the implications that the gospel has on people's lives. And so just real quickly, we're going to flush out just three ideas that come from this long list of really funny names uh, and what the implications of the gospel are from it. And so I want to show you just a couple things this morning. And so the first thing I want to show you is gospel unity over any division. This list of names that we just read, these funny list of names, it may not on surface level, uh, level, you may not be able to tell, but this list right here is really strange names that speak of the gospel's implications about unity. You see, in contained in this list, we see all sorts of diversity just being pour, poured out, which means the early church was incredibly, incredibly diverse. In a couple different ways, too. First, in race. Some of these names that we just read, they're Jewish names. Some of them are Gentile names. Some of the names are from the Middle East or from Asia or from Europe. And if you have been tracking with us for the past couple of weeks, we've said when you get a whole bunch of people together with a lot of different traditions and backgrounds and cultural understandings, look out because there's a chance for a lot of a lot of confusion, a lot of friction going on. And what Paul wants to show you from this list is that dip, that the unity above anything that seeks to divide us, that is the implications that the gospel should have on our life. And if you agree with that, there's a pastor that we've been following, that I've been following for this um, whole series named J.D. Greer. And he says, if you believe that, if you believe gospel above any sort of racial division, that has implications for your life. MLK said, Dr. Martin Luther King said it this way. It has this famous quote that said, did you know the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday mornings from 10 to 11? Meaning the most segregated hour for many people in his time was during worship. J.D. Greer adds to that conversation and he says this, maybe the only other hour that's more segregated than Sunday mornings is every day between six and seven around the dinner table. And he says the reason Sunday mornings is so segregated out is because for so many of us, we live separate and segregated lives. And what Paul is showing you from this list is that the early church was racially diverse, 
racially diverse, that the gospel unites any type of division that seeks to divide us. Not only do we see, does this list reveal distinctions in race, but it also reveals distinctions in class. Like Aristobulus and Narcissus are heads of their household, which means that they were people of pretty significant wealth if they were considered heads of households. That would have been like being in charge of an estate or something of grand nature like that. Erastus, who is the city council, or who is, um, excuse me, the city treasurer, if you go to Corinth to this very day, you can see a uh, building with his name uh, inscribed on that building. Somebody so important that his name still stands to this day. Other names like Rufus and Urbanus were common names, servant names, all of them together equal. Paul says in verse 16 that to greet one another with a holy kiss, meaning that when the gospel unites us, that we come together as one, free of class, free of any racial barriers, free of any socioeconomical barriers, that we come together as one in the body of Christ. And the last thing that this, this list shows us about the distinct, diverse nature of the early church is in gender. There are 26 names in this, and nine of those names are women. In Paul's time, it was a very male-dominated society, and for Paul to give shout-outs to the ladies was pretty unheard of. He actually calls them his co-workers. Phoebe is said to be a servant. And if you look at the Greek of that, that word servant is deacon, that she is a deacon in a house church there. She's a leader in a church. And, and Paul gives Phoebe a very important, very, very significant role. She carries the letter that Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And if there are questions about Paul's writings, which everybody has questions about Paul's writings, Phoebe was the one assigned to, to answer any clarification from his writings. That is unheard of, y'all. Unbelievable in, in Paul's times. We say around here at Riverside, listen, we don't let women lead. We expect them to lead. Just like we expect the men and families to step up and lead. And what you see just in this list of names right here is this radical call to unity where distinction of superiority that are based on race uh, economical standings or gender are erased under the headship of the gospel. That is the first implication that we see from this passage. Second thing I want to show you from this list is you never graduate from your need to be connected to the body. What I think is so powerful here is about how many shout outs Paul gives. He just starts rattling off all his friends in the church. And you see that Paul has many people he is felt personally connected to. If it was me, it'd be like, what's up, Ray? Hey, Colleen. Hey, David. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Lupita. Amanda. Ray. Pat. All my friends. Steve. Hey, guys. That's what Paul is doing. He's felt so personally connected to so many people. It's like he has to get them all in. That is significant, my friends. If anyone is more of a, had a more of a significant role in shaping the faith or the theology of the early church about who Jesus Christ was, it was Paul. And yet you see Paul not isolated from community, but tucked right in. Paul is swimming in friends. And it's not just with other like apostles like Paul. 
Paul is friends with everybody. I mean, just from the list that we read, you see that he is friends with people that are ethnically diverse from him. He is friends with weak people, strong people, servants, free, rich, poor men, women. He's friends with all of them because the gospel unites us and you never outgrow your need to be connected to the body of Christ. Tim Keller, who is a a famous author, says it this way. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not a result of sin. God made us in such a way that we couldn't even enjoy paradise without friends, human friends. Listen to this. This is important. If you are lonely, you aren't dysfunctional. You're healthy. You're lonely because you're not a tree. You're lonely because you're not a machine. To need deep spiritual friendship is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but actually of maturity. It's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of health. Loneliness is the, is the one problem you have because you're made in the image of God. And so, friends, we have to be people that are aware of any sort of busyness or sense of importance that cuts us out from being connected to the body of Christ. Because ultimately, your spiritual health actually hinges on your ability to be tucked up, to be connected to the body of Christ. Love and being connected to the body of Christ is actually a sign of maturity, a mature follower of Jesus Christ, somebody that is rooted and growing and you can tell that they are mature in their faith is their willingness to be connected to the body of Christ. Paul shows us from this list that you are never, you never graduate from your need to being connected to the body of Jesus Christ. And lastly, I think this list shows us that ordinary people play an extraordinary role for an extraordinary gospel. This list shows you, if nothing else, that there are a whole bunch of people involved in the ministry. And then what's funny about it is we never hear from them again, yet their legacy lives on. Like Tertius, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the name of our Lord. Now, wait, I thought Paul wrote this letter. Well, you're right. Paul did write this letter, but Tertius was a trained scribe that wrote down Paul's thoughts as he was receiving them from the Lord. And so you see like this beautiful, how the body works so beautifully when it comes to get together. And yes, Paul's ideas, but Tertius played a role in it. Priscilla and Aquila who opened up their home for the for church meetings. They got this big old house and they choose to leverage that to advance the gospel. And then you got old Rufus's mom, who Paul is just so fond of. And she's had such an impactful role on Paul's life that she says, oh, you got to say hi to Rufus's mom because she has been like a second uh, mother to me. And then you know what's crazy about all of that? They pull a Kaiser Sozi on us and we never hear from them again, but their legacy lives on. And I want to tell you something, friends. We've said this around Riverside before, but you need to hear this this morning. Don't work your whole life. Don't live your whole life and just leave behind an inheritance. An inheritance is what you leave, what you leave to somebody. But I think the gospel beckons you. The gospel invites you not to just leave an inheritance behind, but to leave a legacy. 
See, a legacy is not what you leave to somebody. It's what you leave inside of somebody. And a legacy will live on. And we talk about it all the time. We talk about how the apostles um, do a whole lot of stuff in, in, the early church, in the early church. But the truth is, in the first century, is marked by ordinary, everyday people just like you and me that give their lives to the gospel and then are quickly forgotten. But yet, they, cho- they chose to live their lives in such a way that their legacy carries on and it carries to even to me and to you. Every major church planting movement in the first century um, came out of three primary locations, Antioch, Rome, and Alexandria. And they all have the same thing in common. They're alive, active, healthy churches that have this impulse to send the gospel out. And when they prayed about the, to the ends of the earth, that prayer was for me. And that prayer was for you. You were the result of praying to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And they were thinking about you and me. And you know who came up and out of that movement? Paul. And yet, you know what's beautiful about that? We have no idea who these people were. No, none. No idea who any of those people were that head up those church planting movements in the early first century. Every generation that really takes a hold of this and spreads the gospel is because ordinary, everyday people like you and me take our responsibility in the movement of God serious. And you see that right here from this list. I want to show you something. This right here is a picture um, from when this place over at our old location got started. This is the uh, people that helped get the loft and Riverside launched. This is from one of the very first gatherings that we have. And I'll bet you just looking at this picture right now, you probably don't recognize but maybe one or two of them. In fact, these people are probably forgotten. But yet, you know what's beautiful about this picture? Is that they did not live for an inheritance. They lived for a legacy. And that legacy that they left, that legacy that they leave behind is something that you and I enjoy to this, to this very day. We enjoy the benefits of their forging the ground before us. Now, my question for you is, as we come to kind of a head for the book of, Le- of Romans is, listen, friends, you have a role to play in the mission of God. And the question is, is what are you going to do about it? Because certainly God has made you good at something. God has uniquely called you and wired you to be really good at something. Why not take the gifting that God has for you and leverage it for his kingdom and for his mission to advance the gospel? Riverside, I just want to tell you right now, we've, we've said it, and I want to make sure that we, you hear it again. Don't work your whole life. Get to the end of your days and just leave behind an inheritance. Leave behind a legacy. Leave behind a legacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you be a part of that? That's what Paul ultimately wants us to know, that that he is leaving behind. What are we going to leave behind? Are we going to leave behind an inheritance or a legacy? This list of names that we just read, I mean, these people are quickly forgotten. And you know what I think Jesus might say? Like, yeah, yeah, we don't recognize any of these names. We now don't even really, they're never remembered. Over the course of history, we've lost their significance. But I believe that Jesus is going to look at them, and I think he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have done much with what you have been given. And friends, as we come to the close of the book of Romans, that's my question for you. Is what are you going to do with what's been given to us? Because I think the gospel has on the flip side of it an invitation for us. It's not just for you, but it's also through you. And so what are you going to allow the gospel to do through you, through your life, through your family, through your job, through your career, through your kids, through the many ways that God has blessed you? For 16 chapters, Paul has showed us that the gospel is all you need for the life that God has intended for you. The gospel is not the only way that we begin our relationship in Christ, but it's also the way that we grow in our relationship with Christ. God launched us into our relationship with the gospel, and yet the gospel is the way that is the thing that actually also sustains us. We've said that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith, but that the gospel is the A to Z. We said the gospel is not the diving board into the swimming pool. The gospel is the whole pool. And friends, for 16 weeks, we have been digging, doing a deep dive into what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And today, as we finish that up, that is the question I want to leave to you this morning, is what are you going to do about what's been done for you? How are you going to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, to not only flow to you, but flow through you? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this funny list of names. God, that as Paul started the book of Romans and he ends the book of Romans, God, with preaching the gospel and the implications of a gospel-infused life. God, I pray for every single one of us watching right now, God, that we would be people that allow the gospel not just to flow to us, but through us, God. May we be the type of community that take the responsibility to carry the movement forward. God, to love radically, to give our lives away to our neighbors, to those across the street and ultimately across the world, God. We give you our yes, God. We give you permission, God, to do what you want to do in our lives. God, we hold nothing so tightly as, as we do with the gospel. God, we hold tight and we pray your blessing on us as we walk out your call in our lives. Father, we love you and we bless you and we're grateful for our time together in the book of Romans.